It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Julie Perkins. Today I'm, I'm pleased to be joined by Todd Wells, the Executive Director of Federal Managers Association, Greg Stanford, the Director of Government Affairs for FMA, and in our second segment by telephone, we are honored to have Bruce Stewart, the Deputy Director of Strategic Initiatives, Training and Compliance in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at OPM. Uh, Today, we're going to be discussing how to develop and engage the federal workforce, plus previewing the upcoming FMA training seminar, which is going to be taking place here in the Washington, D.C. area uh, next month. Fed Talk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners, LLC. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management, sponsored federal long-term care insurance program. Now... First, I'd like to introduce Todd. Can you give you a b- brief uh, bio for our listeners? Sure. Uh, Todd Wells, Executive Director at the Federal Managers Association. been there now uh, coming up on nine years, and uh, we've seen a lot of change during that time. I actually came on as the Public Affairs Director uh, as we were trying to figure out how to make sure that people knew we were around. We started in 1913. Uh, but with each generation, uh, we meet new challenges, as uh-huh. I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later today. Um, so that was my thrust, and then moved on to become the executive director. So. Okay. Yeah, no, I, uh, when I was, um, um, I, I should disclose to our listeners I'm familiar with FMA. I'm honored to write an article for your magazine. And, um, and so I was doing some more, you know, reminding myself about the history of FMA because it is so long and storied and it, it has been around for a very long time and it has done a lot of great things for the uh, federal sector. Um, Greg? Yeah, uh, Greg Stanford, uh, <clears throat> Director of Government Affairs for the association and I've been at FMA for not quite four years. I uh, work on our legislative portfolio and uh, keep an eye on the Hill um, of uh, the good and, and the bad, and um, uh, playing the offense, playing the defense, also do uh, a, a bit of the public affairs um, work on the, on the media front and help uh, Todd out with that. And um, as you said, FMA has been around for more than 100 years and proud to work for, uh, for the esteemed association. Um, now, before we get into this seminar, um, why don't you describe, I know it's the oldest and it's the largest mm-hmm. um, uh, association mm-hmm. in, in the federal, uh, serving the federal community, but um, why don't you just do a brief overview of FMA, Todd? Sure. sure. So we were founded in 1913 mm-hmm. and uh, started with the Navy Yard here in D.C., actually, oh. and we still have a very strong contingent of DOD civilian employees, managers. Um, 
we're inclusive of supervisors, managers, executives. So we have folks in the senior executives and down to wage grade supervisors. And um, our reason to be is, number one, a lot of our folks rise through the unions and are used to having that kind of uh, organization to rely on, get direction from. By no means are we a union, but we do continue to look after their interests on Capitol Hill. Uh, at the local level, we try to uh, engender communications. And uh, at the chapter level, we help them with better communications with, in, in the case of like a Navy Yard, uh, the command, and making sure that they're involved at the start with discussions, certainly for things that they're going to have to implement down the road. The earlier we get the word in, the better it's going to be for everybody. And generally, the, the folks who work for them are going to be happier for it. So. Uh, we also try to educate them, and our motto is uh, advocating excellence in public service. So we try to keep our people, keep that in mind, help them remember that not only are we looking out for them, but we expect them to also raise the bar for the federal government efficiencies. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned chapters. So if we had listeners that were interested in um, you know, looking at FMA, should they look at their their local um, geographic area to see if you have cha- a chapter there or they can find that on the website? They the, Probably the best thing to do would be to contact our uh, membership manager, Katie mm-hmm. Redmond, and mm-hmm. you, you can find that contact information on our website, mm-hmm. www.fedmanagers.org. Um, we do have representation in about 40 different agencies. Uh, it, it can vary di- you know, greatly how many folks we have in one organization versus another. So it'd sure. be best to just, depending on your location, uh, we may not have an EPA office in Tulsa, but we do in Chicago and D.C. or whatnot. Excellent. Okay. So um, I know I, I briefly mentioned you have an upcoming um, seminar, but it's a um, three-day event. It's actually our national convention. Yep. And, uh, you know, the convention itself, it's our 78th annual uh, national convention. So we've been doing this for a while. And it's the day that we come to um, this three-day event, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. On Monday, we do uh, our internal business, take care of elections, uh, argue about resolutions and the issues that we're going to be taking on. That's where Greg and Katie Maddox, his deputy, uh, lead the charge and make sure that we're all speaking from uh, one, as one voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we, we do have our elections. And at this year, we're going to be having a new president, our uh, President Patricia Niehaus has been there six years, and she's now termed out. So it'll be interesting and nice. It's always good to have some fresh leadership. She's been outstanding. Um, I, we expect to keep her around as far as a uh, resource, but uh, we will be moving into a new phase. And at this moment, just interesting for us, it's the first time starting a year ago that we've had an all-female officer uh, corps. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, and Pat is our first national president as a female. So it should have happened a while back, but we're very proud that we're at that point now. So, And that's on day one. And that's then one. Um, after you elect your – your, is it just the president or – It's, it's – uh, generally it's the officers and the board. So it's a whole um, slate. It's, it's a bit staggered so that uh, you're the president and secretary in one year. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, then you're having um, training. Is that open correct. to that like, the members? That is open to all the members, but also we encourage folks in the D.C. area or other mm-hmm. managers that will be in the area to come on over. It's going to be in Old Town, Alexandria, just across the river from D.C. at the Crown Plaza. Uh, it's convenient. And um, like I said, you don't have to be a member of FMA to be there. Uh, we're 
working with the USDA provost of the virtual university, Carlise Kelly. Mm. Um, so she's well well connected across government as far as that's a premier able to help training. Ex- exactly, USDA she's, is just she's known. outstanding yes. to work with, and she's helping us get folks like Bruce Stewart, who we're going to hear from a little bit later, mm-hmm. uh, and who has spoken for us before. And basically, we're, we we begged him to come back by popular demand because he was so <laughs> well received two years ago when he spoke to us. And uh, takes maybe a topic that doesn't sound like it'll be what everyone wants to do and makes everyone realize how important and how much it actually is possible for you to do better. Right. Now he's a great writer, too. I I, uh, read some of the articles. And then uh, some of the other guests you have from um, various – you have OPM. um, They have quite a presence. Mm -hmm. You have – USDA. USDA. And then uh, NRC, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So – Department of Justice, quite a list of invited um, yep. um, guests and speakers. If we have time later, we can go through it all, but there's no need mm-hmm. right now. You know, Bruce will hit on the new IQ for leaders, and that uh, is about inclusiveness, mm-hmm. certainly. Mm-hmm. And then just to jump onto the, the convention again on Wednesday, the last day of our uh, convention is Day on the Hill, and that's where we head on up to the Hill. Uh, folks visit their congressional leaders, talk about the issues that are important to FMA National, but also what's important for them at their local uh, facility. Oh, I base. think that's fantastic. Yeah. I think that the federal community um, needs to know how actually Congress listens when they get the phone calls and the letters. They keep track of mm-hmm. what are the hot topics. And if the federal community realized the power they had um, to reach out to their congressmen and their senators and, and raise issues that are important, you know, pay and retirement, all these Things that happen in D.C. that I think that people outside of the D.C. area, the federal sector, don't realize that they they could have some influence. Absolutely. And it's always fun because so many of our folks are veterans of our convention and have done this, but there's also plenty who have not done it. And for them to have someone to hold their hand and get up to the Hill Mm -hmm. and talk to their senator or congressman where they may be otherwise, you know, afraid to do something like that. And they realize, oh, my, you know, I they need to hear from me, and they want to hear from me. Yeah, and and, and, and it's not that hard. And I wish I'd been doing this twenty and years. And Congress ago. works for them. Correct. And I think that's what we need to remind um, the federal sector. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good time to um, take our first break. Um, you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM, and we'll continue our discussion. And we'll bring in um, Bruce Stewart after this break, and a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today we're featuring a discussion developing the federal workforce and previewing the upcoming Federal Managers Association Conference. And on the line with us, I'm honored um, to reintroduce Bruce Stewart. Are you there? I am here. I have to say I very much enjoyed um, the new IQ article that you wrote. Um, Oh, great. 
it was very sad about the iceberg um, and how that, <laughs> I was right. like, how depressing. <laughs> hey, don't fill all my thunder. <laughs> yeah, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience and um, and tell them a little bit about uh, your your uh, new IQ um, topics and, and um, what you plan on speaking at the seminar about. Sure. Sure. Well, I'm excited to come back and have a chance to speak at FMA again. Todd and the crew there uh, treated me ex- extremely nice. And, uh, you know, at OPM, we love uh, to support, you know, all the important work that they do. Um, I'm uh, currently the uh, acting director of uh, diversity inclusion uh, here at OPM. And uh, so basically, you know, uh, one of the big things that we do is really try to execute on the president's uh, executive order that he signed in August of 2011, kind of directing uh, federal agencies to kind of redouble their efforts with regard to diversity inclusion. And so we've tried to do a lot of research, uh, collaborate with a lot of different universities as well as other federal agencies to – Make sure that we can expand this concept of uh, inclusion and diversity where everybody, you know, feels like uh, it's something uh, in it for them. And so uh, one of the things that came out of that was the creation of what we call the new IQ, which means the new inclusion quotient. And it's based on uh, the 98-question employee viewpoint survey that OPM uh, 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 provides uh, to the federal government every year to kind of get a a measure of uh, employee satisfaction and and employee uh, engagement. And so based on that work, about eight years of data, we were able to do uh, some factor analysis. And when we compared it to the academic research, we were able to identify about 20 questions uh, that lead to an inclusive uh, environment. And that's what we call the new IQ. And the reason we call it the new IQ is because we just think that we need kind of a paradigm shift. So the old IQ uh, was about how smart you are as an individual. It's about individual intelligence. The new IQ is not about individual intelligence, but it's about group intelligence. And mm-hmm. so it's not about how smart you are as an individual anymore. It's about how smart you make your team or right. others around you. And so, so you know, that's a message that's, that's uh, with, with the help of Todd and his organization has kind of caught on. And so I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to being able to speak about it specifically with regard to leadership. Yeah, I, um, um, we at our law firm work in groups. Um, we always think that um, there's more than one lawyer makes for a better team, um, not only because maybe I would get hit by a bus and someone needs to understand the case, but also right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also it brings in the new ideas. And, um, you know, we tell clients you're going to see, you know, a reflection of, of a group thinking and group talking about problems, and you never know where that solution is going to come from. Um, and sometimes it comes from, you know, the, the, the new attorney that is just comes with a different perspective and isn't really, you know, institutionalized with 20 years of legal experience and sort of way of thought. And so I found your, um, your idea of bringing in how inclusion and diversity is not just about the demographics, but about actually uh, breaking through sort of that group think of how this is how we always do it and 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 bringing in new voices and new people um, all of a sudden you know can can steer a program or um, a concept into a, a totally new and better direction yeah absolutely you know when you think about this subject uh, you know beyond just uh, 
in terms of race and gender. Not saying that those things aren't important, our mm-hmm. demographic groups are important, but sometimes they they are, uh, present a barrier uh, for all of us uh, to getting to what's really important, and that's the cognitive diversity that's inside our heads. Mm-hmm. You know, the difference, the difference, the different ways we were raised, the, the 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 different ways we see the world. Those are the things that really matter. And sometimes, because of the package looks different, we never give ourselves as individuals or groups a chance to really understand what's inside the the person. And so that's that's what we're talking about with the new IQ. You know that, uh, you know, it's not always about quote, the most uh, qualified person or the smartest person, mm-hmm. it's sometimes about, you know, what perspective are you missing from your team? And and, and, and if you're missing a particular perspective from your team, a, a point of view, then that might be what you want to recruit for, regardless of what they look like on the outside. Right. And, and one of the examples I thought was just spot on was, because um, I watched some basketball, was um, when the, you mentioned how the Spurs beat the Heat. Um, wow, you really did. Yeah, no, I was like, no, I remember that series. And, and um, I remember that it was just um, a route. And, um, you know, it, it went sort of counter to, you know, there you have, uh, you know, the best, at that time, the best basketball player in the world. And, um, you know, it, it took a, a real team effort from the Spurs. Um, and they just, they just, it was. Um, I was actually rooting for San Antonio, but you know the whole decision thing kind of bothered me. But now we're getting a little off track. But I, I really enjoyed um, how you are um, the whole group uh, and and raising the intelligence of a group um, as opposed to just this is how we do it. And I'm the smartest guy in the room or gal in the room, and you'll follow my lead um, attitude. Um, now I know that you've been um, serving the basically the country for gosh are we getting up to almost almost 33 years 32 years yeah first in the air force and then now here in um at opm have you always um seen uh, this sort of need for for uh, a new iq um or has the have you is it more of an issue in the civilian i was wondering if you see more of a need in um the civilian workforce as opposed to the military cuz i always think of them as sort of a a group a team that sort of thing yeah you know it's that's a great question it's really interesting uh uh there's a need for it in in both areas uh but it, it there's a kind of a difference uh, of emphasis, right? So, and it kind of depends on the industry. So, the military is very hierarchical by nature, mm-hmm. but they have they have uh, components of it. Like, you know, I spent some time in special operations, where you really work together very closely as a small unit, a small team. Mm-hmm. And 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 when you work like that, it's easy to understand the power of group intelligence because not everybody is an expert in everything, but you have enough experts in different things that you really create a lot of synergy. Uh, with regard to civilian organizations, so if you're talking about inside the government, you know, again, it's fairly, you know, hierarchical, but there's a lot of uh, bureaucracy, and the, the things that federal agencies try to manage are so complex that what has happened is that all the easy jobs from, you know, the, the 60s and 70s, 80s and 90s in the federal government have all either been interneted, automated, or eliminated. And yeah. so... 
The only problems that remain are these hard, really, what we call wicked problems. And a wicked problem is, you know, you pull one end of the yarn and it creates, you know, a problem on the other end. So even if you have the best of intentions, you know, you can't solve the problem with just one way of looking at it. And that's why it requires a really diverse team. And we know by Scott Page's work, who's a mathematical economist from University of Michigan, he wrote a book called The Difference. And basically, he was able to prove that in 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 most conditions diversity uh can trump ability in trying to solve hard complex problems so the more diversity you have the smarter your team will be if managed inclusively mhm mhm and is that what your office is trying to achieve um I don't want to say government-wide, that's very ambitious of me to think, but, but in a sense, um, by going into various agencies and, and sort of retooling their thought process or... No, that yeah, you know that that's that's so great because that's exactly kind of what it is that we're trying to do now. With the understanding that you know, uh, I mean, depending on where you are in the government and what agency you're with, there are some demographic groups that are, you know highly or somewhat underrepresented, and, and Latinos come to mind. You know, I mean, throughout uh, all levels of federal agencies, mm-hmm. we've had a challenge in uh, Hispanic employment. So we're, we're certainly working in some of those areas. We know that we have to continue continually beat the drum to make sure that people understand the, the uh, 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 advantages uh, they can have in their team and in their offices when they hire people with disabilities. So, so we know that there's groups out there that uh, have some some you know unique uh, uh, challenges, but overall, what we're trying to do is make sure that everybody understands that when we talk about diversity and inclusion, we're not just talking about minorities and women. Mm-hmm. We're talking about everybody. Everybody deserves a, a chance. And like uh, some people know my story, you know, I adopted uh, my son happens to be uh, uh, a white male uh, uh, with. Uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. I adopted him when he was three. And if you were to look at my son, uh, he's 21 uh, years old now. By the way, he, like I told Todd two years ago, he deserves a round of applause because he just got a job. But anyway. Um, Congratulations. I, I, uh, <laughs> he still lives at home, you guys. But, you know, he's still in the basement. <laughs> he got a job. You know. uh, but uh, kid looks like Brad Pitt, good looking kid. But, but if, if, if if you didn't really know him, you wouldn't know that he suffers from dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And in and, and a severe case, uh, you know, dyslexia is where you see numbers and letters backwards, but he also sees numbers and letters backwards, but also upside down. So he has some real challenges wow. coming through school. So my thing is my son, you know, needs to be free of assumptions based just on how he looks and that he's, you know, he's got this thing going for him and he has it easy because he hasn't has, had it right. easy. But other folks, no matter how they look, should get a fair shake, whether they have a disability, no matter who they love or whatever the case may be or mm-hmm. what God they pray to. So that's the kind of environment and kind of culture that we're trying to create uh, within the government using the new IQ as kind of that, that vehicle where we don't cast stones at any one group and blame one group versus another or whatever the case may be. What we try to get people to understand is that we're all in this together. Uh, a lot of things that we do uh, that harm others are not intentional. They happen to come from unconscious biases. And mm-hmm. and once we understand that, then we all can start giving each other the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get the most diverse team we can get. And then let's see if we can solve these problems and, and create a better government for the American uh, uh, citizenry. Wow. 
That's that's uh, it, it. Sounds like a calling for you. The passion in your voice is um, is um, very inspiring, and um, I hope that. I, how how large is your office? How many people are working on this? Uh, about three. No, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let me tell you, we fly the plane, we land it, we clean it. Uh, <laughs> because I don't want the our uh, director to hear that. She'll, you know. Um, but uh, actually, we we have about seven to eight uh, full time positions. But we we very much encourage and 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 go out and see. Uh, People on details that want details to come in the office, and mm-hmm. if they're not from diverse inclusion, the better for us. So we we like to see all kind of folks come in, and you'd be surprised there are a lot of folks who have a passion with trying to solve hard problems, uh, and and that's all that we require. Oh, that's interesting. So they they should um, um, all the folks that are listening that are um, interested in pursuing this. Um, um, sort of change in, in, in thinking within the federal government. Um, should reach out to your office and see if uh, if you um, are need some other assistance on a detail or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like we want to – I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, design company called IDEO, but uh, they're uh, – uh, their uh, company uh, was on 60 Minutes a couple of years ago, and they're 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 the folks that helped uh, Steve Jobs kind of design the real sleek pattern with the iPad, yeah. and the iPhone, and all that kind of stuff. And they were the first to start this concept called design thinking. And so, in the future, that's what we want to see diversity inclusion offices become: the internal consultants for federal agencies to help them make their teams smarter and operate better by implementing, you know, different uh, uh, methods of design so they can be more of a, you know, more cohesion and more of a team. So, so you know, we, we have EEO to resolve complaints around uh, demographics. And as uh, folks that work in inclusive diversity, we're trying to move away from the complaint side of the house to more of a proactive approach where we focus on making teams better. And mm-hmm. so uh, uh, we're excited about it. Wow, it's. Um, I hope that um, perhaps in the future you can come into the studio and we could have a, a further discussion about what your office um, is doing and achievements. And I, I find this really fascinating and um, and needed um, within such a large organization as the federal uh, executive <laughs> branch. Um, and, and I think also the the um, congressional branch could probably use a little more diversity. Um, I think there's a lot of um, very similar people that, that work there. Um, so maybe they can um, they can seek your assistance there too. Um, but I really do appreciate your time here today. And I know that everyone who will be attending the seminar will be enjoying your, your um, talks. I believe you are. I have the schedule in front of me. Oh, yeah, you're at the, um, the 3 o'clock hour. So um, for all those that are going to be attending the FMA uh, seminar, be sure to um, make some time to um, listen to uh, Bruce Stewart. I mean, this is um, this is real interesting stuff. And if you want to check out his articles, I, you have another article coming out um, or a book coming out in the near future? I- yep, it's called The Versatopia uh, uh, uh uh, creating the world tomorrow by thinking differently today. Oh, you've I, and you've so you have one book already. I'm I'm not I'm rarely meeting people that write books, so I apologize. I was thinking article, but you already have one book and you have a second book coming out in the fall. 
Yeah, I'm hoping that I have a little bit more success with the second one. The first one, I mean, everybody in my family bought it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it makes, for those of you out there in Radio Land, it makes for a good doorstop. I will say that. It's, uh, <laughs> you can keep any door open with it. Um. <laughs> and they should be looking for uh, for this one in the fall at Diversitopia, Creating the World of Tomorrow by Thinking Differently Today. And um, yes, I'm sure it is going to be very interesting. I'm going to look for it, too. I I. Um, and hopefully we'll have you on a, another time for a, a longer time to kind of talk through all these issues. Yeah, that would be great. Okay, thank you very much, and you have a wonderful weekend. Okay, you all too. Thank you so much. See uh, you later, Todd. Thanks, Bruce. Now we have to stop here for a break, and we'll continue our discussion after this break and a word from our sponsor, and you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Um, I'd now like to turn our um, program over to Greg. Uh, Greg Sanford is Legislative Deputy Director. Oh, no, I apologize. He's the director. Director. Director of Government Affairs. Government Affairs. (laughs) And um, he's going to talk about sort of the achievements of 2015, looking back on how the feds have fared and um, what FMA has been doing to um, help protect um, the federal employees as much as possible in sort of this this time of sequestration and and, uh, and belt tightening. So... Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, appreciate the time. Uh, pleasure being here. Uh, you know, we went into 2015 uh, last year, and uh, there were a lot, lot of question marks. What was going to happen with appropriations and um, some of the messaging bills um, that had been I- introduced in the early part of the year? Uh, going after, you know, there was a, a bill that uh, was was introduced. Uh, in, Nine percent pay, eight point seven percent pay cut for any Fed making over a hundred thousand um, dollars across the board pay cut. Yeah, and we saw <laughs> legislation um, on the uh, high three to high five, and you know some yes. of that legislation. And so we had some real concerns about how the year was going to go. Um, uh, and in you know in in June, obviously June fourth, we learned about the data breach, and as mm-hmm. in the ensuing weeks, we found out that it went from the initial 4.4 million to now it's 22.1 million and I just received my uh, letter uh, notification from the from the second breach just received my I, I worked on the hill uh, for two different congressmen prior to coming to, to FMA so certainly have been 
focused on uh, on the data breach throughout uh, 2015. But as you said, that uh, working under sequestration as the law of the land, uh, we had two cliffs of uh, potential shutdowns. Mm-hmm. That uh, grateful that we were able to 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 avoid those. And how close were we to? I mean, you know, I feel like also a, a problem with shutdown talk is people tune it out a bit. But I think we were pretty close in 2015. It wasn't just, you know, grumbling. Yeah, it, it was pretty close there, you know, and, and kind of hot on the heels of the 16 day partial shutdown mm-hmm. of October 2013. And mm-hmm. so it's very real in people's minds. And so all through September, you know, there was kind of that, um, kind of those discussions and uh, there were a lot of questions getting at, getting to the end of the of the fiscal year you know and that was right around the time when uh, former speaker Boehner and what was going to happen with with uh, uh, speaker Boehner and uh, you know don't know what happens behind the scenes on that but it was around that time that uh, Sp- yeah, no, speaker I mean, Ryan you're right there was, was like a lack of leadership for a while as they were trying to figure out who the speaker would be and, and, and yeah and there were there and that just, didn't work out smoothly so sure yeah. And so it was, you know, it was days away before they passed mm-hmm. the continuing resolution that funded mm-hmm. the government through um, mid-December. Mm-hmm. And then in in mid-December, um, came close to the deadline again, passed a, a, a short CR, a co- couple of days, right. and then finally passed the uh, omnibus appropriations in um, de- on December 18th, passed that. And I'm actually very happy to say that the omnibus appropriations bill, we were pretty you know pretty pretty happy with over, overall that uh it it did not block the the president's uh, pay raise mm-hmm. so 1.3% pay raise for for federal employees that the president had called for in in his uh in his budget request um it it, it restored parity for the um, public transit benefit restored that with the the parking benefit right. and so we were we were happy to see that um it also going back to the data breach the omnibus appropriations bill provides for 10 years of protections, whereas initially uh, OPM had announced uh, three years of, of, of protection. And we. And for those that um, aren't aware, that protection is that, you know, your credit um, reports getting, you can have monitoring and free service. And so you can be alerted should this breach result in any um, damage to your, your identity theft. Exactly. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ex- exactly. It's identity theft, fraud protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so the omnibus bill provides for 10 years of, of coverage on that. FMA has been, uh, from the beginning, has, has been out front calling for lifetime protections. We think it's that important. And the information isn't just going to go away in 18 months, three years, 10 years. And so FMA has called for lifetime protection uh, for for those mm-hmm. uh, affected. So we'll co- uh, continue to work on that. There's legislation in both the House and the Senate, the Recover Act, that FMA uh, called for and was happy to endorse and uh, continuing to work on that. What do you see as uh, for 2016 I, with this, um, you know, the election year, there's all this posturing and we have enough uh, Candidates from both sides uh, of the major parties that are um, have ties to Congress, and so I feel like they they um, feel the need to block or posture for you know to to advance in their primaries, which causes 
you know, why uh, people aren't getting confirmed and, you know, stalled bills. Are you seeing issues with this being an election year? We, we do. There, you know, you, you always have to stay on guard. Mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you, I'm cautiously optimistic. The um, I'm I'm excited that you know FMA is coming off of uh, of a great success in in 2015. Our uh, Wounded Warriors Federal Leave Act uh, is um, an FMA homegrown uh, issue that was brought to us by a rank and file FMA member, and uh, we thought it was a great idea and took it to the Hill. What for the listeners who, who yeah. don't know. Uh, the Wounded Warriors Federal Leave Act will provide uh, 104 hours of sick leave up front for disabled veterans newly hired to to the federal government. As as you know, you you, you currently start with it with a, a zero balance, and but these disabled veterans have uh, existing uh, issues for treatments of their um, their their conditions from their service connected disability and and need to do that a just to treat the. Uh, the issues, but also uh, B, to maintain their VA disability rating. They have to go to these appointments and these treatments. And so we worked with a bipartisan um, group of, of senators and congressmen. I'm happy to say that in uh, and, and worked with, with a broad coalition, the, mm-hmm. the, the Federal Postal Coalition, but then also the VFW and the American Legion came on board with, with the idea. Uh, the bill uh, never received a dissenting vote in either the House or the Senate. Wow. And pre- President Obama signed it into law in early November of 2015. So we're very, very excited about that. Now that's that's a that's a remarkable like need that no one no one saw. Absolutely. And um, it makes complete sense when you um, explain it. Um, and um, uh, congratulations, that's just a real huge achievement. Thank you. Yeah, we're uh, very proud of that and. Um, and so have a lot of optimism from that. You know, one of the I alluded to some of the challenges of 2015, you know, there were threats to the TSPG fund as a way to pay for, you know, one, one uh, uh, suggestion was to use uh, the TSPG fund essentially to pay for the transportation bill. And we fought that, <laughs> thought that was a, just a, a bad idea. And the G fund, is that the cash fund or is that the bonds? It's the most conservative. Most conservative. It's like yeah, so basically it's, it you're like, it's the you're, cash right. and bonds. Yeah. Okay. And they were going to use that to pay for our highways. Correct. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my. And so we were able to prevent that. And we've prevented uh, things like increases to uh, pension contributions and uh, things like that. So going into coming back to coming, mm-hmm. coming back around to mm-hmm. 2016, you know, always concerned about are there going to be whenever there's an issue that's out there, you know, there have been increases to pension contributions is an idea that has been floated and has been pushed uh, by several members of Congress. And, you know, so we're always on guard for that. I'm happy to say that we know that uh, the president is not going to call for pension contribution uh, increases to pension contributions in his uh, budget request, which is which comes out on Tuesday, uh, this upcoming Tuesday. And the president is going to call um for a 1.6 percent uh, pay increase, obviously FMA would like to see a, uh, a higher uh, uh, pay raise yes. f- uh, for Feds, and yes. uh, FMA has uh, endorsed legislation that uh, Jerry Connolly um, and, and others have have pushed for a 3.8 percent uh, increase. We endorse that, 
But he's a real friend of um, the federal community, um, Representative Connolly. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So continuing to uh, uh, to work on that. Um, but coming on the heels of the wounded warriors, you know, there's been. Uh, a number of legis- legislative vehicles and uh, legislative initiatives out there that really have a, a bipartisan uh, feeling to them that we're happy to support and happy to, to work with uh, uh, members in, in the House and the Senate. One of them is the Competitive Service Act that um, uh, sponsored by Senator John Tester and who was our uh, lead uh, champion in the Senate on mm-hmm. on the Wounded Warriors Bill, mm-hmm. that a Competitive Service Act would allow agencies to share their best qualified lists with other agencies. Oh, interesting. And, uh, and just to, we, we see that as a, as a common like sense tool. Almost like the ALJ list that gets passed around when they, um, they make it to the administrative law judges. I think it's sort of a universal list okay. across agencies. Yeah. And you can select from... OPM's qualified list. Yeah, and we just see that as a, as a tool to mm-hmm. um, help efficiencies in, in hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also working with um, Senator Tester and Senator Grassley. It's a, so it's a bipartisan effort on uh, reforms to administrative leave. It's it's an issue that we've uh, worked with with SEA on. And I want to um, get into that a little bit. Um, right now, we're going to take our last break. And um, I want to talk about the um, initiatives on the administrative leave and then also um, your push on the changes in maybe the probationary period, which I think managers really get frustrated about. Absolutely. Um, and, and what you're hoping to see from this Congress. And I think there is a, a, a groundswell there at Congress to make some changes. So. Yeah. Um, but right now, let's stop and hear from our sponsor. And when we return, we'll wrap up our discussion. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. And we're entering our last segment of the show. And I want to continue our conversation with Greg. He is going to um, outline some um, sort of, I don't want to say a wish list, but some initiatives that um, FMA is really working hard and and hoping to um, uh, garner the bipartisan support. He mentioned um, before our break, uh, I think that's the best way to get things done nowadays. Uh, otherwise, it just gets stalled and goes nowhere in Congress. <laughs> um, but why don't you talk about that administrative leave um, changes? Because I, I, that's been in the news. Um, a GAO, I believe, issued uh, a report on the abuse of administrative leave. I think managers get tired of seeing their employees out for months at a time because they've been told to place them on administrative leave, and it just um, then you're down an employee. Um, so why don't you um, describe what's going on there? Exactly. Well, you know, it came to light the 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 case that really illustrates it. There was the inspector general at the National Archives was on mm-hmm. administrative leave for it was more than two years, and that Remarkable. that was really kind of the. But as they explored further, they we've seen 
um, a, a lot of cases of, uh, I think it's more than 80 people from the, uh, Homeland Security have been mm -hmm. on administrative leave for a year or more. And there's just, there's no uniformity across the government. And the GAO uh, report that you, um, that you noted said that that cost the government, I think it was $3.1 billion between 2011 and 2013. Wow. Um, in, in salaries. So this legislation that, uh, that FMA has, has endorsed, um, working with, with John Tester and, and Chuck Grassley, um, and happy to say that, um, that the chairman and the ranking member of the, the full Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, our co-sponsors of the administrative uh, leave bill, will bring um, so uh, Ron Johnson and, and Tom Carper. Mm -hmm. So it's bipartisan. It has a lot of support of bringing some uniformity to the process. Um, Fed Smith wrote, wrote an article uh, earlier this week talking about there need to be more, issue, you know, more um, efforts like this of bipartisan um, just common sense, bringing some uh, needed uh, needed change that um, that will really make a, a positive impact for the federal government and therefore for the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. And you know, we we have the uh, the American taxpayer on our minds of how do we um, increase recruitment and re retention uh, to the federal government and make give give a uh, affordable uh, government with efficiencies and effectiveness that. It provides the services that the American people expect and re and rely on right. for the uh, you know giving them the bang for the buck. Another issue that um, that we've been working on uh, to do just that in in our uh, in our uh, opinion is um, reforms to the probationary period. Right now, uh, the probationary period is um, one year from uh, date of hire, um, but that doesn't really it, you know it's it's this kind of across the board. Um, there there are exceptions. Um, right in, for for the competitive, um, you know, for the accepted service, they they might have a, a different, a longer probationary period. But in general, in general, yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's one year um, um, with data higher. FMA and the Government Managers Coalition, we've worked with SEA and and, and others on uh, some some common sense. Uh, we feel reforms to the probationary period of tying the probationary period to training and uh, making it. A one-year uh, probationary period um, that starts at the end of training. Right now, you have folks at um, Social Security, IRS, FAA who um, are in training for more than a year, and managers have to make an up or down decision on these employees without the benefit of mm -hmm. okay, they're doing okay in training, but how are they gonna really do when they're on the job? And so we feel that tying the probationary period to training is good for the manager, it's good for the employee themselves, and we've been working with a bipartisan group of uh, legislators, uh, Senator Heitkamp, Senator Lankford, uh, Senator Johnson, um, on a legislation that would uh, affect the probationary period and supervisor training. There's also legislation in, in the House that um, moved through the Oversight and Government Reform Committee. I was wondering about the House, earlier right? this year, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Representative Ken Buck from Colorado mm -hmm. um, has legislation that uh, would be a uh, two-year probationary period starting at the end of training. And so we've... But, but, but with training, I noticed for some of the examples like um, Social Security, um, there's sort of on-the-job training. And that seems to be a little more fuzzy. You're talking about formal training like um, air traffic controllers that are in classes or 
um, IRS that are in classes, or are you also including the on-the-job training? Because I think that could be years, right? Well, right, exactly, and that, and that and that's why we want it to be the one year tied to the and the the, the like the legislation in in the Senate. If the training period is thirty days or shorter, mm-hmm. there's there's no change. You know, if if you're a GS three clerk. There's no need to have, you know, because you're not in this uh, longer training sure. and the manager can can make that decision in the, the current time allowed. But we like the flexibility because the, you know, so that there isn't a, a one size fits all so that if there is um, an air traffic controller, um, that the FAA has the ability and the uh, to provide for a a probationary period that gives an adequate time for both the manager and the employee mm-hmm. to. Because um, I think they shadow people for a while too. I mean, you want air traffic controllers mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Um, be proficient mm-hmm. at their jobs for any of us who travel uh, in the air. Absolutely. Um, and and so you'd want to have the managers have the flexibility of being able to spot someone who, despite being sh- you know shadowing or or uh, the classroom, just isn't going to work out. Exactly. Um, Because that's public safety right there. You know, you don't want them to um, go past the probationary period and you have a real, you know, concern. Absolutely. Um, So, so what do you, so you're working with, um, you've got the House bill and is that, uh, and then you have the Senate has a lot of action. That, yeah, we're working, there's, uh, we're expecting it, um, as as soon as next week, there's a there's a markup in um, hmm. the, the Hisgat committee next week. I'm I'm not sure if it's going to be on the, on the docket. One thing that I do know is uh, scheduled for next week is the the confirmation vote for Beth Cobert as director of uh, of OPM. There were, there was a confirmation hearing yesterday that she was up up for uh, about two hours yesterday mm-hmm. uh, talking on that. So the the vote is scheduled for for next week, next Wednesday. So we'll be watching that closely. And um, we we've worked with with her, and to tie it back around to FMA's convention, uh, a- acting director Cobert has agreed to be a keynote speaker at uh, at our con- uh, um, convention next month, and so we're mm. delighted to uh, to work with her. We've worked with her for uh, for many years, both at OMB before she came over to OPM, and so we're delighted to work with her. The other uh, conference keynote is uh, Representative Stephen Lynch from Massachusetts. And he was the champion for FMA's Wounded Warriors. I initiative. saw that. I, I I wondered. I I looked on his profile and I saw the Wounded Warriors um, um, Act. Yeah, and, yeah. He, so he uh, he was the lead sponsor of that. Mm-hmm. We worked uh, with him and his staff, and uh, delighted that that he also accepted. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and he and he's been uh, a champion and stalwart for a lot of other um, federal I, employee issues. So yeah, I, know, I, I when I went to see what he was, um, you know, why. He he was your keynote, and I was like, "Oh, this is a, a gentleman that actually pushes legislation through, and and or at least tries to. He sponsors or he mm-hmm. co-sponsors. I mean, you get a lot of folks that that aren't as active, and it's um, he actually is trying to make some change and um, and help out and make things more efficient. It seems absolutely. But that's and so good. yeah, and you can see the uh, the other issues that we're working on mm-hmm. at at our website www. Uh, uh, fedmanagers.org but um 
Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm hopeful. No wonder you're so positive because you had such an achievement mm-hmm. last year with the, the <laughs> wounded wars. And I'm hopeful that you can uh, uh, work with Congress on these other important issues for um, for managers and, and just for you know, employees, um, you know, the sense of fairness, I think, about the probationary period um, is not just for managers, but for the employees that are hired on and don't have an opportunity to really shine. Um, so I really wish you the best of luck on um, 2016 and, and navigating the political waters during in such a interesting election year so far. Um, and Todd, I'm going to give you one more opportunity to sort of take us home and um, Remind folks of the um, of uh, the seminar coming up. Thank you, Julie. It's been nice to be here. We really appreciate the opportunity to spread the word about this. Um, again, our convention is next month, March 13th mm-hmm. through the 16th. All FMA members in the area are wel- well, everywhere are welcome to join us. But uh, more specifically, I'd like to push the fact that members and non-members are welcome to join us for our day of training on Tuesday, March 15th. And you'll be hearing from folks like Bruce Stewart, who you heard from earlier, who's mm-hmm. just an entertaining and wonderfully insightful person who helps us uh, as managers do our jobs better. And so please come to our website, check out the agenda at www.fedmanagers.org. And you'll have the new leadership of OPM there. And um, um, I really want to thank you uh, both here. Uh, we had a great conversation today. And um I look forward to hearing all about the seminar and um, your your get-together with all your members. And um, we'll see you next year when we uh, talk about 2017. Thank you very Sounds much. Good. All Thank right. you. Best of luck.